0: Do you know the difference between an Englishman, and a Welshman, and a Scotsman, and an Irishman? Well, I will tell you. Some years ago, two Englishmen, two Scotsmen, two Welshmen, and two Irishmen were marooned on this island in the South Pacific. AND THEY WERE FOUND TWO YEARS LATER. THE TWO Scotsmen HAD FORMED A BANK AND WERE TRADING SHELLS WITH EACH OTHER. THE TWO WELSHMEN HAD FORMED A CHOIR AND WERE SINGING. THE TWO IRISHMEN HAD KILLED EACH OTHER OFF IN A FIGHT. THE TWO ENGLISHMEN WERE WAITING TO BE INTRODUCED. So thank you for that introduction. My book, Holy Fire, is now, excuse me, I did pay you to do that, but not yet. Make sure she buys one. They're available now. It's not printed in this country. We had to get it from America and cost, a lo- seriously, a lot of money, but we've got it so that They are $9.99. When you give them the $10, 10 pounds, be sure you get your penny back. Are you okay? (laughs) This is my latest book. Uh, We haven't given it to any publisher over here. Uh, Perhaps we should have, but we didn't, at least not yet. Every author thinks their latest book is their most important. So I'm going to say that. But never before have I had a book endorsed by 32 leading leaders in America. The um, forward is by Jack Hayford. He's the most respected Pentecostal charismatic leader, I guess, in the world. He calls it a landmark book. I asked him to write the foreword. He said, how many pages do you want? I said, oh, a couple pages. He went to 13 pages. My publisher said he's known Jack Hayford for 30 years. He's never known him to go over the top before for a book. This book is written because a well-known evangelical in America, uh, you would know his name. I don't need to mention it has written a book called Strange Fire that is a vitriolic attack upon all Pentecostals' charismatics. It's horrible what he's done. Uh, Even those who follow him are embarrassed by it. The thing is, he's written it. I was asked to write a book in response. Problem is, I couldn't get to his book until, because I had to get started on mine. So after mine was finished... They showed me his. And I was a little nervous. I thought, what if I've left something out? But I'm happy to say, after reading his, I wouldn't change a word. And this book refutes the idea, he argues that the gifts of the Spirit, for example, are not available today. Uh, God stopped doing that. uh, When the canon of Scripture was closed, we've got the Bible. And I say, well, your, your trinity... Is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, but we we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to understand the Bible, and so it uh, uh, refutes a teaching called cessationism that the gifts ceased, and uh, so this we got them so that you can get them cheaper than even on Amazon.com when they can get them. You can get them real cheap there, but uh, this is even less. So. I was asked to mention it, and I have done it. What? Michelle, did you want one of these? Is it, she wants one? Well, look, they they neglect you. You're Colin's secretary. He's such a slave driver. <laughs> Don't say I never did give you anything. We're having so much fun that Colin is going to have a hard time getting us on that plane July the 7th. We'd like to stay. We're having, we'd love it. But I do have to leave then. Sorry, but the time's going quickly. All right, would you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, the book of Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to speak to you on the subject L-O-T, Lot, Lot a person who was the nephew of Abraham. And so we read in Genesis chapter 18, verse 17, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The man turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received, applied, As you intend, and upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. Make this a word so clear, relevant, life-changing, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. What I've chosen to do during our time with you is to build upon the first message I brought some time ago on Matthew 25, parable of the ten virgins. And in the parable of the ten virgins, uh, Jesus said they were going forth to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise, five were foolish. And uh, the foolish took no oil with them. And, uh, and then at cry at midnight, which means the middle of the night, uh, the cry came, and the whole church was asleep, but now awake. And the five wise virgins were also asleep. The foolish virgins were asleep. And then suddenly they realized that the bridegroom was coming, they go to meet him, and uh, those that uh, were wise were allowed to go to the wedding banquet. It was a great celebration, wonderful moment, but the foolish were kept out. Now, the reason I repeat this little scenario is because I'm preaching sermons that are spin-offs, you could say, from that account. And what I want to do today is give you an example of what I would call a foolish virgin. Now, the reason Jesus referred to virgins is that in an ancient uh, Middle Eastern wedding, the bride had attendants, uh, young unmarried ladies who uh, attended her, and uh, they were regarded as pure, and hence uh, uh, we, we see them as virgins And uh, they were therefore considered pure, not because of anything except the imputed righteousness of Christ. What that means, that God put righteousness to the credit of the ten virgins. And today, uh, it's much like this. Every Christian is called to enter into his or her inheritance. Some do. Some don't. Those who do get to go to the wedding banquet. And this, in my opinion, is a figure of speech to describe the greatest move of the Holy Spirit in the history of the world, greatest since Pentecost. Let's put it that way. Uh, It is my view that this is coming. It is my view it's coming soon. If I were totally honest with you, I can tell you, I looked for it this morning, shortly after I got up, I'm hoping it'll happen while I speak. It's going to happen, and it could come at any moment. Now the question is, are you ready for it? Well, the wise virgins, even though they carried oil in their lamps, had fallen asleep, as the foolish also did. And then when the cry came, they all are awakened. And uh, the foolish are not allowed to enjoy this great banquet. And what that means is, when this move of the Spirit comes, the wise will be right in the middle of it. In other words, if you are pursuing your inheritance, you're walking in the light God gives you, you take time to read your Bible you pray, you resist the devil, the flesh, the world, and so that when this cry comes, you'll be ready, even if you might be asleep spiritually, because we don't know we were asleep until we wake up. And so it's a scary thing. We could all be asleep, but the one thing we can know, even if we're not as awake as we'd like to be, We're walking in the light God gives us. But the foolish virgins took no oil with them and they were left out when the great work of God came. Now, Lot is an example of that. What we know is he was uh, the nephew of Abraham and for a long time they worked together and they both prospered. Uh, They had property and they had uh, animals, and uh, they were wealthy, and they grew so much that they were in each other's way. And so Abraham said, look, we're just going to have to separate. And uh, Abraham says, you decide, Lot, where to go. Abraham gave him first choice. Abraham said, if you go this way, I'll go that way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. So Abraham wasn't trying to get the head start, he was happy for Lot to choose. Well, Lot chose to pitch his tent near Sodom. Big mistake. Sodom was the most wicked city ever. Everybody knew about it. Its reputation was all over. And yet, Lot chose to do that. He thought that he was able to live that close to the world, the flesh, the devil, and be unaffected by it. You see, it shows the importance of making right decisions. Well, uh, decisions that you make, you will reap the consequences of. You make a right decision, it's only a matter of time you'll be so glad you made that decision. You make a bad decision, It's only a matter of time. You will see it, and you will regret it. The Bible says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Do you pray every day that you will make right decisions? You should always pray that you don't blow it by making the wrong decision. And there are Christians who believe that they can show how strong they are by getting as close to the world as you can get and be unaffected by it. And there are those who think, I will prove how spiritual I am. I can just rub shoulders with the world and it not bother me. You, my friend, are a fool. If you are spiritual, instead... Of seeing how close you can get to the world and be unaffected by it, you will take precautions and get as far from the world as you possibly can. Because if you know yourself, you know there are certain places you should not go. You know in advance, if you see a particular person, this is not going to be good for you. And you say, Well, I'm going to show how strong I am. You're being very stupid. Paul says, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In other words, the best way to keep from falling into sin is to avoid the temptation. You know what will tempt you. You know who will tempt you. And if you're really wise, you will avoid going where you know this person will be. But Lot was foolish, and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. Well, in a short period of time, he got in real trouble. Uh, There was a war among the kings, and one of the kings captured Lot and his family, and Abraham got word of it. And so Abraham took 318 of his best men to rescue his nephew Lot. But Abraham not only did that, he defeated all of the kings, every one of them. And then he was so grateful to God for the defeat, and lo and behold, a man by the name of Melchizedek appears. And Abraham is so grateful to God that he gives a tithe, one-tenth, Of all the spoils to Melchizedek. And that is the origin of tithing. Maybe you didn't know. But the first tither was Abraham. How did he know to give one-tenth? Have you ever thought of that? It was the Holy Spirit that impressed this upon him. And that became the pattern. Jacob was a tither. But then, 400 years later, the law came in, and the law required you to tithe. It became legal. You had to. And then when Jesus died on the cross, the law was fulfilled, and it's as though there hadn't been a law. We go back to Abraham, so that you don't have to tithe now that Jesus died on the cross. Is that good news for you? You say, oh, I'm glad to hear that. Here, I was thinking I was, had to tithe, and you tell me I don't have to because Jesus died. You're right, you don't have to. Abraham didn't have to. Do you know why Abraham did it? It's because he was so thankful. You see, tithing is not what gets you to heaven. Tithing is a way of saying, thank you, God. You've been so good to me. And the reason that in Malachi it says, will a man rob God, is because if you give God less than the tithe, let's say you've earned 30,000 pounds for the year and you owe God 3,000. You give him 2,000 and you say, I'm probably giving more than anybody else, and you justify it, according to God, you've robbed him of a thousand. And when you rob God, you are impoverished, because God doesn't like ingratitude. And so, you don't tithe to get to heaven, you tithe to show that you're thankful. And Abraham was the first tither, and he was so grateful But then, something happened. God came to Abraham one day and said, the wickedness of Sodom has come up before me. And God gave Abraham advanced notice of something. He said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And instead, God let Abraham know. I think one of the greatest compliments God can ever give us is when He gives us advanced notice of something that most people don't even know about. It's a wonderful thing when God taps you on the shoulder, He warns you of this, or He gives you advice do this. You say, Well, I would sure like for God to speak to me like that. Well, I can tell you He has. It's called the Bible. And if you read the Bible and you know it well, you know what you ought to do, what you shouldn't do. But I will say this, that sometimes, even though you got the Bible, God can show you something. And it's a great compliment when you're having the kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit that He could tell you something and reveal something and let you know something is about to happen. And Abraham was given advanced notice. By the way, Sodom and Gomorrah were not given advanced notice. But the church was. Abraham. And I don't know if you are aware, but that God has a plan. And this world has rejected his son Jesus Christ, this world does not know that God has a plan, and judgment is coming. And the Christians are given advanced notice of this. and we know that the bridegroom is coming, and we want to be ready for Him. And when we are walking in the light and we have oil in our vessels, we will be given advanced notice. Well, when God told Abraham he was going to punish the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham had a question. He said, let me ask you this. Would you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city that are righteous? Okay, God says, if there are 50 righteous people, I won't destroy it. Good. And then Abraham said, could I ask you one more question? What if there were 45? Would you destroy it? God says, well, if there are 45, I won't destroy it. Well, then Abraham said, could I ask you one more question? What if there are only 40. God said, if they're only 40, I won't destroy it. And now Abraham is getting to be really cheeky. He said, What if they're only 30? Well, God said, If they're 30, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham, would you believe it? You talk about being impertinent. He said, What if they're only 20? And God said, if there's 20, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry. But let me speak once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And God said, for the sake of 10, I won't destroy it. Well, in all this, Abraham raised a question, and it's a a question I want you to think about. When I speak on the subject of eternal punishment uh, on one of these Wednesday nights coming up, I will be raising this question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? There's one of the most important verses in the Bible. It's Genesis 18, 25. Never will forget in the days when... I used to visit Mrs. Martin Lloyd-Jones. After he went to heaven, she lived several years. And uh, so I would go to their home in Ealing and spend an hour or two with her. She'd make me these Welsh rock cakes and give me a cup of tea and we'd sit and talk. And one day we're talking about eternal punishment and the justice of it and how... It doesn't seem right, does it, that God would send people to hell consciously for them to be there forever and ever. It's the hardest teaching I've ever heard of. It doesn't make sense to me. If God were to turn everything over to me, I'd say, destroy hell, save everybody. But his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And Mrs. Lloyd-Jones said to me, there's one verse I lean on. Genesis 18, 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And that's your answer to people who criticize you for what you teach with regard to eternal punishment. If God says it's right, it's right. He's the judge. He's the righteous judge. He won't do the wrong thing. And we don't apologize for him. We just say, this is what he said. I'm standing by him. The same thing is true when people criticize you and say, you think you're the only one that's right because you say you got to be a Christian to get to heaven. The answer is, I I'm not the one that said that. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I just agree with Jesus. That's all. He's the one that said it. And the the way forward, pass the buck to God, to Scripture, but don't give in and say, I don't believe the Bible because this is God's Word, And the Bible is God's integrity put on the line. And if you want to risk the anointing of the Spirit being lifted from you, you start questioning the veracity, the truthfulness, the infallibility of Scripture. This is God's Word. He will bless those that honor His Word, and He will withhold His blessing from those who don't. It's only a matter of time. And so this was Abraham. He says, I don't understand it, but it's okay. Now, the reason I've chosen Lot is that he's an example of a foolish virgin. When you consider how he compromised himself, he was so sure he could get close to the world and be unaffected by it, if he thought that. And uh, we see what happened as a result. There's an amazing verse in 2 Peter chapter 2. If this verse weren't in there, uh, we, none of us would ever uh, dare say that Lot was righteous. And we're told in 2 Peter 2.7 that Abraham rescued Lot, a righteous man. How could he be Righteous. Surely he's not. Well, the answer is that it was righteousness that God imputed to him. I use that word while I go. The ten virgins symbolized the church. They made professions of faith. God imputed righteousness to them. But not all of them were wise. And those that are wise were pursuing their inheritance. Those that were foolish were not pursuing their inheritance. Locked is an example of a person who did not pursue his inheritance. But then you say, how could God call him righteous? Especially after you're going to hear the things I'm getting ready to tell you about him. How could God call him righteous? The answer is, we are saved by the imputed righteousness of Jesus. If this is a new word for you, let me try to explain it. It simply means God puts righteousness to your credit because of your faith in the blood of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you? Has anybody ever asked you that before? Some of you know I had a a friendship with Yasser Arafat. I don't think I would have thought of that, but somebody asked this morning to see, I've got his uh, signature, autograph, he he signed my Bible. And I got to know him very well. And the first time I went to see him, I put something to him I don't think he was prepared for. I said, Rais, the most important question is not whether you get Jerusalem or the Israelis get Jerusalem. The most important the important question is Where will you be 100 years from now? Has anybody ever asked you that? Where do you think you will be 100 years from now? You know, for one thing, you'll be dead. It is appointed, and a man wants to die. You don't like to think about it, but you're silly not to. I don't mean you need to be preoccupied with it, but you're just aware you're going to die. What happens then? You say, well, if I go to hell, I'll have a lot of company. You will not be aware of one other person. (laughs) And so where will you be 100 years from now? If you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose it's the real thing. You're standing before God. He says, why should I let you in? And you've got to give the right answer, and only one answer will do. What would you say? I'm going to ask you now, think hard. It's for real. God says, why should I let you in? What comes to your mind? Well, I've tried to be a very good person. I believe you, but that wouldn't save you. Was baptized. Good. That won't save you. I gave money in the collection today. Good, that won't save you. Well, R.T., I was gonna buy one of your books afterwards. <laughs> that won't save you. What if you were to say to me, I've done my best, and I told you that's not good enough? You'd say, if you do your best, what, what more can you do? The answer is that your best is never good enough. Because none of us come up to the standard God requires. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In your best moment, you have thoughts that are not right. Jealousy, pride, lust. You're doing your best. We you say, well, that's all you can do. No, listen. Jesus came into this world, lived perfectly never sinned in thought, word, or deed. And when he died on the cross, the blood he shed washes away our sins. So the moment we trust Jesus, his righteousness is put to our credit. Now, this won't make you perfect, but Lot was regarded as righteous. You know Martin Luther said, when I get to heaven, I expect Three surprises. One, he said there will be people in heaven I didn't think would be there. <laughs> Two, there will be people missing I thought would be there. And three, the surprise of surprises that I'm there myself. <laughs> but what he meant by that is that Dr. Lloyd-Jones used to say a Christian is a person who is surprised. that is a Christian. It's so good you can hardly take it in. And I would paraphrase Martin Luther. I think when we get to heaven, there'll be those who actually received a reward in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ because they pursued their inheritance. There'll be those who get that reward who I didn't think would. There will be those who won't get it that I thought would get it. But the greatest surprise if I myself can hear from the lips of Jesus, well done. Well, now, the question is, do you know you're ready to meet the Lord? Well, now, let's look at Lot's choices. First, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He thought that wouldn't make any difference, and maybe you thought you can just see how close you can get to the world. You'd be fine. But here's what happened in Genesis chapter 19, we read that two angels angels, arrived at Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them, bowed down, and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house. You you can wash your feet, spend the night. Oh, no, we'll stay in the square. But Lot insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house and he prepared a meal for them. But before they had gone to bed, listen carefully, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out, so we can have sex with them. Lot went outside and met them, shut the door behind him and said, oh, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And now what I'm about to read is almost unthinkable. It's unimaginable that a father would stoop so low as Lot stooped to. Here are the men, young and old, pounding on the house. Bring those two men out so we can have sex with them. And Lot says, look, I've got two daughters who have never slept with a man. I'll bring them out, and you can do what you like with them. Can you imagine a father doing a thing like that? It's about as low as you can get. This is the lot that thought it wouldn't matter if he pitched his tent towards Sodom. This is the lot who thought, I can show how close I can get to the world. It won't have any effect on me. Here's what happens. Once you make a wrong decision and you choose to go where you know temptation will be, where there's wickedness, where there's sin, DON'T THINK THAT IT WILL NOT AFFECT YOU. IT WILL. IMAGINE STOOPING SO LOW AS TO OFFER YOUR OWN DAUGHTERS TO HOMOSEXUAL MEN BECAUSE HE DIDN'T WANT THEM TO BOTHER THE TWO ANGELS IN HIS HOUSE. HE NEVER WOULD HAVE THOUGHT HE WOULD DO THAT. AND SOME OF YOU, I FEAR, have done things that one time you said you would never do, but you've done it. There may be someone here, you are on the verge of doing something very questionable. You knew at one time, you said, I would never do that, and now you're right there. You're so close. It may have to do with integrity, with finances. It might have to do with sexual purity. It might have to do with what you would say about a person. It could ruin their reputation. Whatever. You never thought you would be that close. Maybe God has set you here today to hear this word, to give you this wake-up call. And I would say, stop it. Stop it! Because now, maybe, you're caught in the nick of time. Well, what Lot did, sadly, it just didn't work. They began to bang on the door. And they were going to break down the door. Violence crept in. But then what happened is... "...that the two angels reached out and pulled Lot back into the house, shut the door, and then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door." What we're going to see now is how God, in His mercy, rescued Lot. The two men says, do you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone else? Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place." The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great, he tends to destroy the city. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughter. He said, hurry, get out of this place. But they thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, hurry, now, this is it. Take your wife, two daughters, get out of here. Turns out that Lot had a wife. He didn't have a wife when he first went to Sodom, but now he's got a wife. He's married one of the inhabitants, residents in Sodom. And then when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand, and the hands of his wife and his two daughters led them out of the city. Notice it was less than the ten. Had there been ten, God said, I won't destroy the city. It's just a handful now, five or six. And as soon as they brought them out, he says, run for your lives. Don't look back. And What happens is that when they looked the next morning as the sun came up, the Lord had rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah and overthrew those cities, living, all those living in the cities, and they were all destroyed. But in the meantime, we're told that Lot's wife looked back. What that means is, she didn't just glance. Her heart longed to be back there. She was never really emancipated, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And as for Lot himself, he moved on, and we never hear of him after the account in this chapter of Genesis. You see, when a person loses their inheritance, they lose what God had in mind for them, and you get your inheritance simply by doing the things that please God and honor Him. Let me ask you a question. How much do you pray? How much time do you give God every day? Prayer life. Do you have one? When I first went to Westminster Chapel, I urged every member to pray 30 minutes a day. You would have thought the chandeliers would fall. 30 minutes a day? One deacon said, I don't know what to say after 10 minutes. <laughs> Actually, he said five minutes. I thought, well, it shows me more about you than I wanted to know. You can have a prayer list. Keep you praying for Hours. You see, you get to know somebody by how much time you give them. You get to know a person's ways by how much time you give them. How much do you pray? How much do you read your Bible? You need a Bible reading plan. It's been provided for you here at KT. Bible reading for this spring. Follow it. Keep in the Word. This way you won't blow away your inheritance. Well... Do you know for sure? You're walking in the light. That means you're living in total forgiveness. No grudges. No unforgiveness. You bless those who have persecuted you. This is the way you come into your inheritance. Sadly, many Christians sweep the dirt under the carpet. They don't think it matters. The wonderful thing is that God did rescue Lot. The fire coming down shows that he would not go to hell, but he would go to heaven. The question I put, do you know that you would go to heaven? Has righteousness been put to your credit? And when I gave you that question a while ago, if you stood before God and he said to you, why should I let you in? What did come to your mind? As I spoke, did you start thinking, well, I've tried to do my best and all this? If, that, if those of your thoughts wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world, if you were thinking, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've tried to do this, you're in bad shape. I'm sorry. But that could all change right now. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. This is for those you don't know for sure, If you were to die today, you go to heaven. All others, you can ignore this for the next 30 seconds. But if you don't know for sure, say this in your heart, not out loud. God will hear you. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? I think somebody did. Question, are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? why do you ask, R.T.? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I'm going to ask you to confess him. In the next 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to confess him. If you prayed that prayer and you're not ashamed of it, in 25 seconds from now, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You say, in front of all these people, yep. And you might be the only one, which would be a rather good thing if you're the only one and you have the courage to stand. In 15 seconds, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech, but just say, I prayed the prayer, I'm not ashamed of it. Five, four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to stand on your feet right now. Remain standing. Remain standing, okay. You can stop clapping. You can stop clapping, but I want you to remain standing. Now, if you really meant it, I'm going to ask you to leave where you're standing and go to the nearest aisle and come down here. You that are in the gallery, it'll take an extra half a minute. Go to the nearest aisle, come downstairs, and join us right here. And it'll take you a little while. Friends have come with you, they'll wait. You that are up there, all of you that are standing, go to the nearest aisle and come right up here. This will show you really mean it. We want to spend a minute or two with you, not long. You're not going to sign your life away. We're not going to put you on a mailing list. We're here to be a blessing to you that you will leave from this place equipped to be able to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil and bring honor and glory to God and leave here not only saved but with a chart and compass to become a wise virgin, not a foolish